Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have the founder and president of GoHunt.com, Lorenzo Sartini, on the line. L- Lorenzo, how you doing? Doing good. Um, middle of the season, kind of bittersweet to be back in town right now. I want to be back out there, but um, other than that, everything's going good. Yeah, the last time we talked to you, you had uh, found out within a couple days that you were going doll sheep hunting and uh, you went and told us about the success of your doll sheep hunt and, and how you did. Um, and that yeah. was, I believe, this right at the end of the summer. Uh, and uh, that was kind of a surprise trip. And uh, I know you've been hunting a lot uh, all across the West. Uh, Lorenzo, before we get going, uh, give the listeners that maybe are new to the podcast uh, an overview of what GoHunt.com is. Yeah, sure. So basically what we set out to do uh, roughly three years ago is aggregate all the different data and information sets that a hunter would find valuable for Western hunting. So um, for each unit, as far as I was concerned, I wanted to know first off my draw odds, the likelihood of drawing a tag based on how many points I had for, for that species, the harvest success rates, so I can understand if it's on an upward trend or a downward trend and when I should burn my points on that on that unit for that species if you know, if I had enough points to do so. And then also the resident, non-resident tag quota breakdown, um, you know, all, all the different mapping options that I would want to see as a hunter that I would find um, valuable to me. We basically set out to aggregate all that information and put it in one spot. So um, as far as GoHunt.com goes in, in our insider program and in our insider uh, product, what we are setting out to do is bring everything to one spot so hunters are not wasting any more time because we already spend enough money trying to apply for all these states and draw all these tags. The last thing we want to do is spend, you know, more time than needed to try to find as much information as we can. Um, so, so yeah, that's our, that's our main goal. And what we set out to do every day is try to aggregate more and more data and information um, to show hunters what opportunity is out there for them and what suits their interests the best. For sure. And so GoHunt.com is obviously a website uh, that is, uh, you can go on at any time of the day and check out all the great articles, all the great up-to-date information. But then as well as that, you wanted to, as a company, you wanted to create a place where the Western hunter could go and get all of the draw odds, the harvest success, the trends, you know, the resident and non-resident tag quotas, the mapping um, all the conveniences of the unit, you know, temperature range. Um, mm-hmm. So the insider is a uh, a, a place where uh, a membership based place where you can go and be a part of uh, to figure out where the best place is you can hunt and yeah. why that, you know, and find hidden gem hunts and different things like that. Correct? Yeah, correct. So to to that note, um, yeah, we're I guess you could call us. Uh, two different products. We have that insider product, which is all that data and information and what our, our actual product is. Then we also, um, you know, we also felt like if you're going to be in an industry that is so community-based and passionate, we wanted to give back to our users as well. So we have that free side of our website that we're constantly trying to give back to um, to our users and the people who visit our site as far as, you know, the top information in each state, um, the different news that's going on, if they're going to open or close units for hunting, you know, just little things like that. We're always trying to get back to our users and develop a relationship with them so they can get to know us through this free side of our product. 
Um, you know, so so we're not just asking them, hey, you just met us, please pay us. That was never our philosophy. We always wanted to create relationships, make sure people are comfortable, and then, you know, hopefully they, they find the trust in us to, to spend their money with us. Yeah, and I think, too, you know, I see that every day with my podcast. And, um, you know, I think you have to give and provide value. And, you know, there's never a, a time when there's a take. It's it's you give and provide value and then there's yeah. an ask. And, it you know, I think it's superficial to uh, think that someone's just going to come on and, and instantly, uh, you know, fall into, uh, you know, quote unquote, giving you money, whereas I think you've set it up very nice where you've got all of these, you know, field judging articles, all these different videos, all this stuff on the quote unquote free portion of the site. But then if people want to really dig in more and they want to see what what is out there in each state and, you know, per animal and like really make a, a, a game plan for hey, I want to hunt mule deer over the next 10 years. What are my best opportunities for trophy bucks in each state? You know, exactly. they can dig a little deeper. And um, I know I've just enjoyed the Go Hunt Insider myself uh, and the feedback from all of the listeners that have, you know, you've been a sponsor of this podcast, dang near from yeah. the start. And the feedback from guys that have signed up, you know, using my promo code, um, you know, and then reporting back to me has been overwhelming. And, um, you know, as you guys have added more and more states, uh, you know, it's, it's the most comprehensive, um, resource out there. And I, I appreciate hearing that from you, obviously being in the industry and being around great products for, for as long as you have. And, um, yeah, we're, we are humbled every day with, with the, uh, you know, with the action that we get towards our product and our brand, just scrolling through Instagram and social media, watching people and seeing people wearing our hats or, you know, or just generally hashtagging go hunt. It, it sounds, it sounds small, but, um, you know, we genuinely want to be a part of the community and, and want to be in this shareable space with people. And it's nice to see that, um, you know, people are grasping towards us and, and paying attention to our brand. So it's always a very humbling thing to see, and uh, we always get excited in the in the office when we see things come across. So, thank you. It's uh it's been a fun ride so far, and we're definitely just getting started as far as uh, as far as the product goes. Yeah, and I would think you know one of the challenges uh, I can imagine that you had when you started this company is, I mean, first and foremost, your accuracy has to be 100% accurate. You 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 don't have any room for uh, errors. And I think with some of the challenges of, say, Arizona uh, recently, you know, with their change of the 5% non-residents mm -hmm. go to max point holders and 5% go to, you know, random draw, it throws, quote unquote, a monkey wrench in the plan of trying to get those detailed draw odds and, and make calculations and, you know, statistic data uh, prevalent. But I think it's pretty cool to see how you guys have handled it. And I'm excited. Um, it sounds like the Arizona moving forward, uh, Arizona, you guys are going to have now the, the 5%, you know, you're going to have a handle on the new draw statistics uh, for Arizona with the new numbers, not before when it was just a 10%, you know, go to the, the people with the most points, um, you know, as a non-resident. So can you talk a little bit about Arizona as far as are you going to have uh, up to date 
with the new uh, draw odds? Yeah, definitely. And, and first off, to, to, to that point, our product is accurate information. So whenever whenever we release something, we want to make sure it's as accurate as possible and it's bulletproof because the second somebody finds or sees inaccurate information with our site, it's immediate loss in trust for our users to us, and that's the last thing we want, obviously. We want to hold the highest level of trust. So the, the Arizona decision to not put out draw odds this, for this last season was, was due to the fact that they – changed completely changed their draw system when we knew it was going to sway draw odds um you know depending on how people were going to play this new system and we wanted to see how people jumped to new units or what they did before we we released information that somebody was going to make a decision on so as far as as far as this next season going forward this 2017 application season we absolutely will have accurate arizona draw odds for uh for their new system um and not only that we will also have year-over-year draw odds for the other states. Obviously, this is the first year that Arizona is going to um, have this new style, so we're not necessarily going to have year-over-year comparison there. But for everywhere else, we definitely will have um, trends on the year-over-year comparison of draws and how it's going to sway for uh, each individual user. And in other words, take a state like Utah, where the system that's been in place has been in place for multiple years, what you're saying is now with the filtering 2.0 system that you have, you're also going to be able to compare, you know, go back and compare years. And so you can start looking at point creep and how many points that, you know, two years ago, it only took you 13 points, whereas maybe this year, you know, now it's, you can see it's taking you 15 or, or what have you. Um, is, is that, is that how I read that? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, point creep is always talked about, um, but as far as visually seeing what is happening for a unit in its draw odds, uh, it's never been done before. So what we're doing is we're taking trends over the last uh, over the last few years and showing people what point creep really is. And in a in a short definition, you take you know the Henry Mountains of Utah, you have X amount of of applicants with max points, but you only have Y amount of tags. And the Y amount of tags isn't even close to the amount of, you know, that X number of people with max points. So, you know, this year, maybe it was 21 or 22 points. Well, next year, you're going to have that batch of max point holders from the year before that didn't draw a tag, bringing that max point holder in the Henry Mountains to 22 points the next year. And then it's going to just keep happening and keep happening. So this point creep is a very, um, it's a, it's a, it's a very big factor for Western hunters who are holding a lot of points because, that point creep, if you're in a state that only draws for um, max points, I mean, you're technically you're never going to catch it. So we, sure. we want to visibly show people um, how that works. And, and really, if you have max points and it's showing 100% draws for the Henry Mountains, we want to show you what that really means um, as far as when you're going to when you're going to draw that tag. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Let's take a quick break here. GoHunt.com Insider is by far the most valuable tool a Western hunter could give themselves. GoHunt.com Insider are the industry leaders and number one source for Western hunting for a lot of reasons. GoHunt.com Insider have changed the game for how hunts and hunting information are found. Within a matter of minutes using filtering 2.0, you'll be able to filter by state, species, residency, odds of drawing a tag, specific hunting dates, 
and harvest success percentages to find the hunts that fit exactly what you're looking for. If you are a guy that applies across the West or just in your home state but want to find some new opportunity, there's no better way to do it than using GoHunt.com Insider. As an exclusive offer to my listeners, if you sign up for a GoHunt.com Insider membership for $149 a year and use the promo code JSCOTT, at checkout, you'll receive a $50 Kuyu gift card. Head on over to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and get yourself the most valuable membership a hunter could have. Real game calls featuring the elk reel. Real Game Calls makes innovative, realistic, and easy-to-master calls using their proprietary, revolutionary design. They are located and manufactured in Gypsum, Colorado. Their calls were designed and battle-tested on some of the hardest-hunted terrain on Earth. Check out ElkReel.com. Use the promo code JSCOTT and receive a 20% discount on all purchases. Go to www.ElkReel.com. Lorenzo, you know, I think a perfect example of that, I just did a podcast with your very own uh, Brady Miller, your digital content manager, and um, he found a a hunt up in Wyoming by using the Go Hunt Insider and doing research uh, where he only had one bonus point, and he was able to go up and do an early season mule deer hunt with a rifle in a region and found kind of a hidden gem hunt and went up there and harvested a really cool inline buck and he had, you know, uh, 15 inches of snow on the ground, and he, he walked through uh, on the podcast. He walked through his whole hunt and gear prep. and um, But, you know, he, he directly attributed getting that tag by, you know, being able to research and look at all the different units and regions and see the trophy kind of quality buck that he was looking for, you know, to, to, to you know, draw the tag. and. Yeah he in essence knew that with his one bonus point, he was already going to get that tag. And so he was able to prepare, talk to a bunch of people and kind of, you know, start scouting and what have you before he even drew the tag. I think that's just one example of, of, you know, being able to use the insider efficiently to find hunts that, you know, work, you know, I, I was able to use the insider when I drew the Utah, the beaver tag, granted they only gave one tag because, of uh the non only you know yeah it was six six resident tags one non-resident tag um but i was able to look at all the different units in utah and kind of you know decide which one that i didn't want which ones that i did and was it worth putting in for the beaver because of the quality and and you know taking a, a shot at, at long odds um but finding a unit that had the high quality so yeah. um also exciting news you guys are releasing Oregon up until now you haven't had uh uh an insider program with Oregon tell me a little bit about that yeah so we're we're constantly releasing new states that we don't have up right now and Oregon just went live last week um so the the opportunities that uh you know Brady found in Wyoming and you found in Utah now you'll be able to search uh Oregon based on all those on all those data sets as well um which is a big deal for us we were actually we were actually really surprised at how much um, how much ask we got we got for the state of Oregon, um, and it, it, that's on me. I I I guess I might have overlooked it per se, but um, 
I've always been interested in it. And when we started launching all these states and, you know, bringing Idaho online and these new states that we've been doing, we got a lot of ask for Oregon. And it's been a, it's been a really good state for us so far. Um, a lot of people have, have said, and again, it was my, it was my understanding too, that there wasn't a lot of non-resident opportunity in the state of Oregon. And that's just kind of what I was always led to believe. But what our product is great for is they have over-the-counter opportunities too. So I can hunt Oregon every year and it's, and it's, pretty good over-the-counter opportunity. Um, and, and like you were talking about with Brady, we don't just only talk about trophy units and all these things with max points and, and uh, you know, trying to get the Arizona Strip tag or trying to get the Henry Mountains tag. That's not that's not all we do. A lot of what we do is the opportunities. And, and you know, we want to hunt every year and we want to go on good hunts every year. So we also aggregate all that data and information to let people understand, you know, where – the best opportunity is for them at their point level or, or their, you know, whatever they're looking for, whether it's over-the-counter archery or anything. And what I've come to, what I've come to find out is Oregon has a lot of that opportunity, and it's got me very excited about um, trying to plan a hunt up there and, and figuring out when and where I can put that in the schedule. So it's been a, it's been a good state for us. Um, you know, I went to college in Montana, and I duck and goose hunted all through Idaho, Oregon, Washington, all those states. So I kind of have a, uh, you know, an attraction to those states already from from the information I had on them. And now going through it with the big game side of it, it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun. It was hard to do, just because Oregon, um, their fishing game, and you know they have, were finally introduced into the new species of elk with the, um, you know, rosebelt tule elk going along that that west coast side as we get into oregon washington so it's it's been fun it's been a lot of fun so far that's fantastic uh man you've been doing a lot of hunts yourself how important is it for you um you know being the founder and president of gohunt.com you know obviously you love to hunt but how important to you is it that you are actually out in the field and actually hunting whereas i think you know uh, the it, it it could be you know you're so busy with your company and building a you know a startup, um, you know you could easily not be out in the field. How important is it to you for to be out there? It, yeah, it, I mean, I genuinely use the insider product to go on hunts. That's that that is what I do, and I feel like my role should be is is you know finding using our product to find the hunts that I want to go on. And then actually go on those hunts to figure out to figure out if there's more that I need to know. Is there other information sets that I should be able to get my hands on that would put me in a better spot for um, for future use? And and what I'm why I do that and what I'm doing it for is to be out there because you're always learning something when you're there. You're always learning something from you know the local DWR office, which I always stop into and try to ask questions and um, just get as much information as possible on on the hunts that we, you know, that we talked about. And, you know, it's obviously, obviously a dream job of, of, you know, most of the people in the industry that I get to go hunting as much as I do, but it genuinely is work. And, um, you know, when I find these new opportunities, I want to make sure they are exactly what they say, what we say they are. And, you know, it's, it's definitely held up to be truthful so far. And I've been on a lot of really good hunts that I never really thought I was going to be able to go on, or I never saw opportunity. Um, but finding these over-the-counter hunts and you know these hunts with minimal points to draw in some of these other states, it's been it, it's been 
uh, a little bit hectic with as with as much as I have to travel, but other than that, it's been it's been a lot of fun. That's awesome. Uh, you've had some great hunts uh, yourself here this fall. Um, you had an archery. Well, you had an any weapon tag in in yeah. Utah. Ended up harvesting a bull with your bow. Uh, tell me a little bit about that hunt. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. First off, it was probably one of the most um, action-packed hunts I've ever been on. With the hunts being a little bit later this year in Utah and Colorado, in these states that that the calendar rolls with with the years, um, you know, our, this hunt was a week later than what it was last year. And the rut was absolutely on fire from the day that I got there. And because of the dates being so late, I figured, you know, why not bring my bow? Uh, rarely do you get to hunt elk that, that you know, deep into the rut. So I wanted to bring a bow so I could get in with them and, and you know, have this. I wanted to call and I wanted to call bulls in and I wanted to be a part of the action. So I just figured I'd bring my bow and it turned out to be, the best decision I, I definitely uh, made. And you know, I was out there a couple of days before the hunt started, and I found two bulls that um, I was after. Well, one I called the senator just because he was he looked like a politician, but the all the <laughs> political stuff going on is just kind of what was in my head. So we called him the senator. And he was just a straight six point, super clean, and he was very political with how he dealt with the other bulls around him. And that's how he got his name. And then the other bull we named Junior because my cousin Heath Junior is the one that found him. And uh, I actually ended up passing him on the second day of the hunt, which I have no idea why I did that, but turned out to be a really good decision. Um, yeah, so I was after those two bulls the whole time. And for the majority of the hunt, those two bulls had, I mean, they must have had 60 to 80 cows between the two of them, and they just were always together. So whenever I would want to go after the senator, I found him and finally laid eyes on him. I would have to work my way through Junior's cows and his cows to finally get to him. And, you know, a lot of the time throughout the hunt, like it always goes, you know, you think you're going to get on and then something crazy happens. And it seemed like for three or four days in a row, every time I was going to get on the senator, Junior literally came out running towards the senator bull. And, uh, they were just constantly playing this cat and mouse game between their cows that I was always caught in the middle of. And it, it, I don't know how we did it, but it was me and my cousin and we actually filmed the hunt. We're going to release it uh, probably in the spring of this year. And it's in some incredible footage and I don't know how we did it, but we never flew out a single cow or either of those bulls during the hunt. We hunted them for eight days solid. We were on those bulls every day. And we never blew out a single cow or either of those bulls. So we were always catching him generally in the same spot, uh, trying to pattern him. But obviously, as you know, probably better than anybody that during the rut, they're not too patternable. They're always doing something crazy that you never really expected. And we just kept getting caught off guard and caught off guard. Um, and this year was the first year I've ever been on a Utah elk hunt that it snowed. And on the seventh day of the hunt, it legitimately snowed you know, two to three inches overnight. So I woke up to a winter wonderland and it completely threw off the hunt from what we had been seeing before. I woke up, you know, two inches of snow on the ground. It's a complete winter wonderland. It's pure white. And I head off to where I had been seeing Junior and the Senator. I never saw the Senator that morning. I saw Junior with no cows. I saw two new bulls in there. 
and it it felt like a late season rut, uh, a late season elk hunt. There was no rut activity. I saw so no it, sh- it shut them up. Literally, it shut them up. And I would have thought it would do- it would have done the exact opposite. I would have thought they would have been on fire after that cold that cold weather came through. And yeah, we didn't see a single cow. Those bulls completely shut up. They didn't talk. Um, I thought I was going to kill Junior because we found him that morning, and I put a really good stock on him, and he had no cows, zero cows. So I, I got excited right when we saw him, thinking I was going to be able to make a good move on him. And I made a pretty aggressive play, but he caught the drainage uh, just to the east of me, and he skirted me by about 80 yards. I, I was within 120. If he would have been you know, 80 yards closer, I would have let an arrow fly, but he just skirted me, and I... I ended up getting really nervous because there was only three days of the hunt left. Everything was completely different. Um, no more talking, no more cows. And then in my head, I'm thinking, well, if the cows left and, you know, maybe the senator left too, uh, I'm trying to figure out what's going on. Um, and it kind of spun me for a loop that day on that seventh day. But we woke up the morning of the 8th to exactly what the hunt was and what it used to be. The bulls were going crazy. The cows were back. I started to get a little more uh, a little more at ease with, with what was going on. We got back on the Senator that morning of the eighth day, um, and I couldn't get it done. And fast forward to that night hunt, I was feeling like I wanted to get more aggressive with my hunting style. I was pretty laid back. Like but, I said, yeah, like bring the rifle out. <laughs> no, <laughs> did, not, you, no. did you ever consider that? <laughs> I made, I made the commitment that I was going to stick to my bow. Um, okay. you know, I made that Good commitment early on and I, I, wanted to stick to it but my okay. my style of hunting like i said we never blew out a single cow or a bull it was pretty it was pretty uh defensive you know per kind se passive, like we, yeah exactly we were trying to set up in the right areas and let them come to us we were trying to let them make the hunt happen instead of us making the hunt happen and that that night of the the eighth day that night hunt um i decided to get a lot more aggressive and i started chasing some bulls and I didn't, I didn't get on the bulls that I was chasing, but it put me in the right place at the right time. Luckily, you know, as luck would have it, I was, I had little to no luck throughout the hunt as far as those bulls coming to me. Um, but that, at that night of the eighth, it was funny. I decided I was going to be a lot more aggressive. So I started chasing bugles in the, in the timber kind of earlier in the afternoon. I got on a couple bulls that weren't quite big enough. And as the sun was going down and it was getting later, I decided I was going to back out of the timber and go look for the senator bull. And as I'm walking across this wide open meadow, this one meadow that I had to get across, and I got lucky, finally some luck fell into my lap, that none of the cows had made their way out to this meadow that I had to work across. And I could play the tree line a little bit so none of these uh, cows and bulls could see me that that I could hear in the timber. They just hadn't quite made it out yet. As I'm coming across the meadow, I put my binos up and I can see the senator bull. I can see that he had really distinct backs. The royal and the fifth were really distinct. And I could see him just over this rise within the timber. So I immediately, you know, I'm, I'll have two camera guys with me. and immediately say, all right, we're, we're sitting right here. Uh, I found the one single lone pine tree out in the middle of this meadow. So we're going to sit right here and we're going to see what happens. And we kind of got caught in a weird spot where I couldn't be aggressive anymore because of where I was caught in this meadow and these, these cows and the senator bull wanted to feed out. So I sat down at the one lone pine tree in the middle of this meadow. And as luck would have it, finally, as I wanted to be aggressive, 
and as the night fell, I, I just wanted to sit, and it was the best decision I made the entire hunt. I sat down, and there was a bull that we had been chasing. He was the seven point, we called him. He had matching kickers off both royals, but I never could shoot him because he just looked so young, and I wanted to try to give him another year. He was a beautiful six point, but he was just, he looked like a puppy dog. And as I sat underneath that pine tree, it wasn't 30 seconds later that that seven point was walking down this rise, walking right at me. And just to the right of him was a brand new bull, um, which was the bull I ended up shooting. But I'm putting my binos up and I'm going, man, he, he's super wide. He's super heavy, but he's got something funky going on on his, on his right side. And it ended up to just a big five point on his right side, but not a whale tail five. It was really interesting shape that he had to that side of his horn. And I immediately liked him. And I'm thinking, you know, with all the luck that we've had this entire hunt, there's no way he's going to come up in the range. So I'm picking trees out of how I'm going to crawl and how I'm going to try to get a shot. And as him and the seven point are posturing against, against each other and walking right down towards me, it was, I, I don't know what made it happen or how much luck I had to have had on my side, but he literally got 50 yards away from me and turned and ran straight to the seven point and locked up horns and started fighting right in front of me and the one opening I had I didn't have to make any weird turn to draw my bow back I didn't have to do anything it literally could not have been any more perfect they both had their heads heads down they were both locked up fighting so I could make as much noise as I wanted to and uh it was actually pretty funny uh, looking back on it on film I was shaking so bad trying to get a range with my rangefinder I I had to set my rangefinder on my bow cam to get enough stability to get a proper reading on range I and, love it. Yeah, I, like it's very visible how uh, how much adrenaline I had going through me. And as they locked up and kept fighting, I drew my bow back and let an arrow fly, and I made an unbelievably good and lucky shot. I ranged the seven point is what I ranged because as they were fighting, he was the one I picked up, and I ranged them at fifty. And as I shot, they spun a little bit, and my bow must have been closer to sixty. And that arrow flew right behind his shoulder, and I hit him right in the heart and blew out the other side. You know, I could tell it was a really good shot. He was pouring blood as he, as he ran away. And uh, he only made it about 50 yards and tipped over backwards. And it was, I mean, it was like completely sealed what that hunt was, which it was, you know, constant action, constant red action, seeing tons of bulls, but it never quite working out the way I wanted it to. And finally, as I said, I was going to get more aggressive. You know, it it put me in my place, you know, the hunt put me in my place, showing me that it's not all about being aggressive. It's just about being in the right place at the right time. Yeah, for sure. And the bull, I'm looking at your photo on Instagram. It's got great fronts. And even on that right side where he's a five, it looks like his third's really long. And is it is it me or are the tips of his one twos, do they, do they almost have little knots on them? Or is that just mud? I can't tell if, no, if they, they're like... They, yeah, they all have little acorns on the front of them. They're kind of wavy, and, and yeah. he's just an old, really cool bull. I'm pretty anxious to get the teeth back and, and see how old he is because he looked really old. He had a lot of caramel in his, uh, in his whistlers. All of his teeth were pretty wore down. I'm pretty anxious to see how old he is. I think he's just a big old bull that was kind of on regression and just started to ball up on his front and, and uh, you know just had a lot of age on him. That's awesome. Yeah, it looks like a beautiful country in there where you were. It looked like you had good leaf color change. Some of the aspens oh, were changing yeah. colors. I, I enjoyed 
one of the things I enjoyed uh, most about my Utah hunt this year was the color change. And, you know, hunting in Arizona, we typically don't get to see that color change. And so it was, it was awesome to have the elk bugling and have, you know, the aspens turning yellow. It was just a really cool experience. And uh, I can't wait to check out that video. It sounds like it'll be a scream fest. Yeah. It's, I mean, we were in elk from day one until the day I, I killed and the whole time we were within 100 to 120 yards, and we just that distance never really closed to what I, what I what I needed it to. Um, and finally, it just happened that last night. So yeah, there is no shortage of elk fighting, elk bugling, cows being right in our face. It was an incredible hunt. And like you said, those aspen trees. I mean, they were fire red after that snowstorm came in. So we had some amazing color uh, with with all the all the trees around us. So it was it was awesome. Phonescope is a company that makes custom-molded, precisely engineered smartphone digiscoping adapters. Photographing wildlife has never been easier. It is simple to text photos and videos from your smartphone and share them with your friends. Phonescope stands behind their product with a 100% money-back guarantee. Get yours now by using the JSCOT16 promo code and receive 10% discount on all purchases. Check them out at Phonescope, that's P-H-O-N-E-S-K-O-P-E dot com, or on Instagram, at Phonescope. I have known the owners of the Outdoorsman's in Phoenix for over 20 years. They are the authority on optics and hunting gear. Outdoorsman's is the leading designer and manufacturer of high-quality tripods, mounting accessories, and pack systems for all hunters. Their customer service is the best in the business. Go to Outdoorsmans.com or call 1-800-291-8065 and use the J. Scott promo code to receive 10% off any products. You know, one thing to, to note there, I've seen it more times than not when you have a big snowstorm or you have a big giant rainstorm where we think, oh, it's going to cool down, they're going to go crazy. To me, I think elk are just like any other animal. When there's a big change, typically they don't like it, and and it takes them a day or so for their bodies to react to that change. So it doesn't surprise me hearing that you know you get snow overnight, which is a big change for them, um, and not that it affected them in any way, other than it was just a change. And I've seen it more times than not, even hunting deer, you know, hunting other things where you get a change like that. Sometimes they don't move around as much. Sometimes their pattern, you know, they just clam up. You know, I've seen turkeys do it. I've seen elk do it. Um, so that's interesting that you ran into that. Yeah. Um, you're, you're, I, there's a couple hunts I want to talk to you about. Uh, I know, I know you've got a short window of time here, but uh, your uncle shot a really cool mule deer buck. I'm looking at it on your Instagram page. He's got like a little can opener off of his G2 and yeah. kind of a couple crab claws out on his G3 and his G4. It's a neat buck. What's up with that? Even though I had nothing to do with that hunt, that this is the highlight of this season for me. My uncle has been after that deer. It's going to sound crazy for the length of time, but he's been after that deer for nine years and not after it completely actively, he just, he has just known about it on his property. Um, he, he has a big piece of private property down just on the other side of the Ponsagon, uh, on the open side. So he gets to hunt it every year, and he's been running trail cameras on it for a very long time. And this buck has been on that property for nine years. And he's been a shooter buck for that long, too. I would say he's been heavily hunting him for the past five years, but, um, you know, would, would be willing to pull the trigger for that long. And over the last five years, 
he's been aggressively after him, and it's just it's never worked out. It has never worked out for him. He's had multiple hang fires on his muzzle loader with him during rainstorm. Um, you know, it, it's it's for whatever reason that deer just seemed to have nine lives, and it was something that the family could never stop talking about: is when this deer was actually going to be killed, or if he was even going to be killed, if he was going to die of old age or whatever whatever it was going to be. Um, but now that that chapter's closed on that on that buck, and my uncle finally you know finally put him down, to look back on it on all these trail camera pictures and you know how he looks now is completely different than what he looked like before. As when he was in his prime, he was a giant four point, huge four point, probably pushing that 200 inch mark, and uh, just big old deep forks. And over time, he re- he regressed to a three by four, which is basically what he is right now when he was what we're going to say he was probably nine, he regressed to a three by four. But then the next year when he was pinned, what we are thinking he's pinned, um, you know, thinking that he was three years old, the first time we noticed him on the, on the property being a, a shooter buck, if he was 10, he, he sprung back to being a really good four point and actually had two cheaters off the top of the side, matching cheaters off of the G2. And he was just a great looking buck. And uh, he didn't get it done that year. And then finally this year, coming full circle, you know, he still has always had that really distinctive front end, so we always knew it was him. And we actually named him Ghost because he seemed like he was just a complete ghost on that that property um, with it never working out with him. And then this year, finally, on the last day of the muzzleload hunt, my uncle shot him. And he went back to what he was on his uh, 10-year-old year, year, where he was that 3 by 4 And this year, he actually has that really cool cheater off that right side, too. So, um yeah, it just was a major chapter closed for my uncle, and you know I couldn't be more excited that he was the one to actually get it done on him. So it was a big deal. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, looking forward, um, what hunts do you have coming up here? So I am extremely excited about my Colorado fourth season tag. I drew a drew my fourth season tag this year. I decided to cash in my points because. Uh, like I said, you know, with Colorado, how it rolls, how its season dates roll with the calendar, this is as late as it gets, and the fourth season's going to the 20th of November this year. So, uh, yeah, I decided to, to cash in my points, and I'm headed out there. And, uh, and this is crazy to me because I usually hunt a lot of mule deer. This is my first deer hunt of the season, so I'm, I am completely jacked up for it. I cannot wait to get out there and start glassing up some deer in the rut. So, yeah, I'm uh, I'm really excited. Looking forward to it. Awesome. What rifle are you going to take up there? So, I'm shooting the 26 Nozzler from Browning. They're a Hell's Canyon long range gun, and I've been shooting 142 grains out of it. And earlier this year, I went down to New Zealand to do some research for some international hunting, and you know, got to do a little bit of hunting down there. And I was shooting 142 grains out of it, and I really like the performance. But I started looking at the 129-grain ballistics, and, you know, 3,300 feet a second out of the muzzle has amazing, uh, amazingly flat trajectory, which is what I obviously want for, for mule deer in the sagebrush, just in case I'm going to take a shot, you know, of, of some distance, five to 600 yards plus. And uh, I stepped it down to that 129 grains, and I am blown away at the accuracy of this gun, like completely blown away with it. I cannot wait to get out there and start shooting stuff. You know, Brady was telling me how much he's liking his um, his Hell's Canyon uh, rifle, and um, sounds like both of you guys are dialed in and ready to roll. Yeah, I 
put a brand new Vortex uh, PSD on there. It's a six by 24 power. Got that completely dialed in. I'm ready to go. We uh, performed some surgery on the gun here the other day in the office and then took it out to the range with that 129 grain bullet. And uh, yeah, it's, it's incredible. Like, I don't know if I've ever had this much confidence in a gun before. And I've, I've shot a lot of really good guns in the past. I used to have a Christensen Arms for a while. Um, I shot that for two or three years. I actually shot the biggest buck I have with, with that gun. And, uh, you know, I've been around some, some really nice guns, but when we started shooting these, these Browning Hell's Canyon guns, yeah, it was, uh, it was a pleasant surprise to have a gun that's that affordable and can hold up with that amount of accuracy at long ranges. So as far as Brady and I go, we, uh, yeah, we're in the office every day kind of, you know, chippering about how, you know, how confident we are. And he made an unbelievable shot in Colorado. He had a, I think the actual distance was 550, but with angle it was 470 or something like that. And he just yeah. completely piped his deer and had no no issues with it at all. So, yeah, we're... Yeah, you mean, you mean in Wyoming, yeah. Oh, yeah, sorry, in Wyoming. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're jacked up about it. He has a third season deer hunt in Colorado, too, so him and I have a little friendly wager on, on who's going to do better, so... Hopefully we can both shoot as good as we're thinking we're going to shoot. That's awesome. Uh, ex- expectations for your fourth season hunt, 200 or better, or what are you thinking? I've been very fortunate to shoot some big deer, both with a with a rifle and with a bow. And I, I, I just love to see really nice deer, really good-looking deer. I like super tall G2s. I like heavy. I'm not – I mean, I obviously love big, wide deer, but wide isn't isn't you know the first thing on my mind i like that tall heavy look and you know i just like i tell anybody to say you know to throw out that 200 number and completely pass over a 195 or 194 point would be absolutely insane so you know what i what i'm going with is the first year that that fits that look what i call you know what i call the look for me if he's got the yeah. look i'm gonna i'm gonna shoot him if he's tall and heavy so let's let's hope it's I- something big but We'll see. I know you too. I mean, you'll you'll fall you'll fall for a, a three by four with the you know the three the three side with double cheaters on it or something if he's bladed. I know you. You oh, like yeah. you like you like stuff with trash and character for oh, sure. Yes, I do. I love inlines. I love <laughs> stickers. I I just like things that are different. You know, if he's got big black horns and forty plus inches of mass and is a three point, but he's got cheaters, I'm probably probably going to shoot it. So um, uh-huh. yeah, I just I, I like that that big funky looking stuff yeah that's uh that's what i'm after well awesome buddy i look forward to seeing uh the pictures from the next hunt and i appreciate you you. spending time with us here and as always uh always very appreciative of the sponsorship of the podcast and uh just uh really enjoy being involved with gohunt.com and gohunt.com insider and uh uh yeah buddy go get them thank you i appreciate it Definitely appreciate it. All right, buddy. We'll uh, we'll be chatting at you. Sounds good. Guys, thanks for listening and supporting my podcast. If you would, please go on iTunes and leave me a comment and leave me a five-star rating. That helps our placement on iTunes. If you'd like to send me an email, you can at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. You can also follow along our adventures at jscottoutdoors.com, also on Instagram or Facebook. I'd like to thank my sponsors for supporting this podcast, GoHunt.com Insider, PhoneScope, The Outdoorsman's, 
and real game calls.